this is Ryan Condon, CEO and co-founder of Satisfied, a customer and employee experience company. Uh, we bring customer and employee focused insights to organizations so they can improve the experience. My guest today is Brett Barrage. Brett recently retired from a decade as CEO of Premier Equipment, a 10 location John Deere dealer group in Ontario, Canada. Brett is now a CEO coach and mentor for Building Champions. Satisfied has been supporting Brett and his team at Premier for years, and I've been truly impressed with his ability to grow Premier while creating a cohesive and supportive culture. Prior to Premier, Brett had his own leadership and consulting business, as well as was a correctional officer, which we're going to have to hear a little bit more about that. <laughs> uh, and he worked his way up through the ranks. With all the challenges we were having globally with COVID-19, I felt with Brett's experience in successfully managing Premier's growth through challenges such as merger, down economies, diversified ownership interests, and now as a CEO coach, puts him in a unique position to provide valuable insights to business owners, equipment dealer leadership, employees, and customers. Brett, welcome. Thanks very much, Ryan, for those kind words. Yeah, well, I'm glad we could have you today. You know, I, I just think that your experience uh, will lend itself to really providing some great insight to other people that are kind of working through some of these challenges on the front line. So maybe, uh, could we start a little bit, just give us a little background of, of who you are, you know, where you're from, kind of your experiences, and just so that we can kind of get an idea of who's Brett. Sure, yeah, happy to. Um, first of all, just in terms of uh, what everybody's going through out there, um, I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with different business owners across North America the last couple months, and, and uh, some companies are just doing an awesome job. And so uh, good on you for, for tackling this. Uh, this is just crazy times. And so um, recognizing that it is that uh, leadership is just so important. Um, so happy that you could join us. And if you can pick one thing out of something I've said, then, uh, you know, then this is an awesome time and, and hopefully helpful. Uh, yeah, my background. Uh, so first of all, I grew up just east of Toronto, a little town called Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, met my wife there and uh, we moved uh, west of Toronto to an area town called Elmira. Uh, we currently have two kids, uh, both married uh, and live in the area. Expecting our first grandchild actually in August. So excited about Congrats. that. Um, yeah, thank you. We're, we're looking forward to that. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, real, really into family and do lots of stuff, vacation together and hang out and they're over for free food and drinks all the time. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, stay pretty active. Uh, really uh, into exercise and golfing when I, when I can up here. It's not as long a season as some other places, unfortunately, but, and actually play ice hockey still uh, a couple times a week too. Love to put skates on and get out there and play and, and have a, have a beverage after. And Okay. So where I, I read about that. So what do you play? So I mean, well, well it's just, it's generally pick up hockey, but it's yep. guys that all played some good level of hockey. Uh, what position? So we, I usually play center or, okay. or wing, but I, again, it's pretty easy. You know, we can do whatever. Again, we've all played some decent hockey, so uh, it's just fun to get together. And it's more about the trash talk in the in the uh, dressing room after and, and over over a drink than it is over <laughs> hockey. But it's uh, good exercise anyway. So good. Good. You know, I um, uh, I used to play as well, yeah. and I moved down to Texas, and uh, not a lot of ice hockey down here. So <laughs> no, I bet there isn't down there. That's for sure. Although here they they have some of the the most rinks per capita. I've heard a stat about that. Don Cherry, who's an icon up here in hockey, talked about the per capita in Texas in terms of rinks or something. It's fairly high, apparently. But huh. I, I haven't been there. So you should check it out. Maybe even find a place to play. That'd be yeah. good. <laughs> um, so you want a little background in terms of my kind of my career path? Yeah. Like how'd you, how'd you end up at Premier? So where, where did you start and yeah. how did that work? Sure. 
Yeah, certainly not a usual uh, background to, in terms of career path, um, but really thankful for the opportunities that I had. I look back at it now, and I'm certainly not done by any stretch, but uh, certainly unique. Fresh out of college, I started working in a maximum security jail up here in uh, Canada, just east of Toronto. Um, and uh, and then from that, moved into Young Offender Jail. So let's think it down there. It's called Delinquents. You know Delinquents, I think it's called down there. We call them Young Offenders up here, but moved into that. And then in the in that role, moved through various levels of leadership, um, different opportunities, and, and, and learned a lot just uh, in different levels of leadership. Ended up in Young Offender Jail uh, as a supervisor, assistant director, and then actually director of the, of the whole facility. Um, and experienced some harrowing, for lack of a better word, events uh, in both those places. Uh, some crazy things happened, some seen some crazy things. And What do you think? Uh, what was one of the craziest things that happened? Oh, man. Uh, there's a few. Um, that's a great question. I remember when I was out, we, we had, we had some, some guys that were close to early release. This was back in the adult jail. And we'd take them out. Uh, we had potato fields and, and grew stuff. And so they were early, close to release. And so they were supposed to be, you know, uh, a little more trustworthy. We took them out and, and, and we'd actually dust potatoes just by hand. They'd go along and dust potatoes and we'd be sitting there. And, and this, I remember this one inmate looked me in the eyes and he said, what would you do if I banged you over the head with a rock right now? I was just like, uh, well, <laughs> it's just shock, you know, like the shock in my face. I'm sure he was like, uh, oh, this guy, this guy's a rookie. He doesn't know what he's doing, but and interested in it developed into an interesting conversation with him just in terms of how I would respond and but just the fact that someone would ask you that uh, it was just uh blew my mind I'll never forget the the guy's face and just where we were and went through that but uh yeah and then I actually went through a, a kind of a bit of a riot in young offender jail as well had to respond to that situation so just yeah lots of interesting and then the thing I think back on those experiences though and in, in that side of my career is that just the ability to talk through situations and, and use words and 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 verbally be able to kind of diffuse a situation or just work through it. Uh, man, I learned a lot about interacting with people, <laughs> how to interact, what can cause things, and and didn't know it then necessarily. But I look back on it now, certainly had a big part in just my leadership kind of opportunity that were going to come. So, was that was that a strength before? you got into that correctional facility like as a kid was that something you were good at or or did you develop it there or that's a good question i think i developed it more there i think in in the adult facility it, it was just survival and so certain things kicked in in terms of how to diffuse a situation i think when i was in the young offender system uh working there not in the system um there was a supervisor that i had reported to that was just really solid and i learned a lot from him about leadership to the point where he ended up moving on to a different job, and that's when I took his role as the director. And, uh, and I think about that person, he, he had a ma massive influence in terms of leadership uh, and how to lead others, and then uh, and it became a passion for me. And so when I was in the Young Offender System working there, I did some work with associations uh, that were involved in the business uh, of that and the government, and just gave me some great opportunities in terms of leadership and uh, experiences, helped develop some, some programs, some manuals around aggressive behavior, and worked with various leaders across that kind of industry. And so it just was, it kind of really broadened. It wasn't just there, it really opened up some doors for me and just was, again, very fortunate to be able to experience some of those things. And then from there, I was there quite a while. Uh, uh, and then started my own leadership development company. I was approached by a company called Leadership Management International. 
uh, we kind of set up his franchise. And so I had a, a small little franchise with them, um, just doing leadership development, really, and consulting for organizations uh, around here. So this was when I was in the Elmira area. And one of my first clients, actually my very first client was Elmira Farm Service. So pre-premier, before the merger, they were my very first client. Um, and I had other clients as well, different manufacturing, uh, advertising, food production, um, all kinds of different little um, businesses that was, again, it was really cool to learn about different businesses and how they operated. But then went back again to do some more work with Elmira Farm Service as they had grown. Uh, Why'd they bring you in initially, Brett? Yeah, good question. Initially, it was just a couple of folks. They were they were really trying to develop this one person's kind of approach to working with others and a bit of his leadership skill. And so I was just really working with two people, this one individual and his supervisor, to help that person grow and develop as a leader. Um, got to the point where that person then they actually we actually re they repurposed him into a role that was better suited because we just felt that it wasn't going to work and, and then flourished after that in a different role because we could identify that it just probably wasn't the right pushing him into that direction wasn't going to work for him necessarily. Yeah. Um, and then went back again and worked with them and their board. Uh, they had grown to five stores and just needed some help with, um, how does a board function? How do, how do we, how do we make decisions with 150 staff now? And that's when we had some discussion about me being their general manager, uh, and maybe being a shareholder. And that was back in 2005. And so when you, you think know, back to like, Peterborough, when you yeah, think back to like what you helped them with, um, so yeah. you went in there, they're, they're an organization, they're thinking about putting a board together, or they have one that's not functioning at level. W what did you do? What sort of things did you do to help them figure out how to get it, get it to where it needed to go? Well, and so that's, that's really what, oh, that's a good question. That's really what led to me being, becoming their general manager. We, we had worked through a little bit of um, just the structure of the board and what's the purpose of a board, because really they were sitting around as eight shareholders making decisions about, you know, carpet for exaggerating, but, you know, eight shareholders weren't using their time wisely, but they own the company, right? And so they weren't necessarily structured in a way that there was a, gen there was, there was a general manager, but he didn't really have the decision-making uh, ability that he needed because it was, they were really operating as a eight-person management team that all had the same authority to some extent. And so we really just talked through what's the best structure considering this eight-person board you have um, this 150 person employee company that you have, how do you need to function properly? What decisions need to go where? What decisions are board decisions? What decisions are, uh, you know, employees decisions, general managers decisions. And so that then led me to becoming the general manager, shareholder, all those things. And then we really got into, that was one of the first major priorities was just called, we called it board governance. We spent a lot of time working through board governance and just as a shareholder, put your shareholder hat on, you go to the board meeting, that's your vote, have your say. When you go back and work in the company, you're an employee of the company. And we all had different roles. Everyone on the board worked in the company at that time. And, but we had to really distinguish that shareholder hat, board meetings only, everything else, you're an employee. You're bound by the same thing every employee is. And there's always a bit of crossover because people know who the shareholders are, but we really tried to maintain that. And that was one of the big, that was the biggest first priority uh, when when I started there as general manager was just helping the board kind of sort through that whole function as, as a group. So was it hard to pull that power, or I guess pull that power back from those individual team members that had been ruling as an eight-person kind of all authority? Yeah, yeah, I can remember some of the discussions. Uh, we actually did use an outside consultant who specializes in board functions and, and structures. He lives in the Guelph area, which is only like 20 minutes from here. 
and, and he really helped us helped us as a group because it's one thing for me to say it but you have an outside expert come in who says this is the way you need to be functioning as a board we had to get to the point where we actually i mean i can remember the discussion in the place is even though i'm a shareholder can i be can i be fired as an employee that was a tough discussion but we all agreed yeah no you, you can't your shareholder status can't mean you can be a terrible employee you have to be a good employee if you're not then you have to be held in the same account as every staff member i remember us having those discussions and having to deal with some tough situations and that was uh that was a real big turning point for how the board functioned uh, and i give the board credit they were able to kind of put their board hats on and step outside of the company and and really look at it from a from an objective what's best for my shareholdings perspective not for me as a person as an employee maybe so it was tough i remember that yeah that's great yeah i've just seen that before where where people uh have a lot of difficulty separating those two responsibilities employee and shareholder mm-hmm. um and then giving up that power and, and i think and it's not it's not abnormal it, it yeah. I, I get it it makes sense but if but if you can and it's tougher the smaller you are because it's just the way the company runs right if it's it's a couple stores or three stores and a few staff and it's just easier to do that you can keep it kind of tightly held but as you get bigger the structures needs to really function properly just for the what's good for the company and for the staff uh, it's only what's fair from that standpoint so kind of then after that we got that board set up and functioning well then the next step was kind of let's have an exec- executive team that really carries out the board's wishes and so that was kind of the next focus after that board thing wasn't board structure was in place was to really develop the exec team, executive team to make sure the exec team's main function was to, to carry out what the board wanted in terms of overall results, how are we going to get there uh, and how are we going to accomplish that. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a good nutshell of just those major things that were focused on when I started as general manager. Again, give them credit. They, they were ready to grow and change and, uh, you know, so all of us collectively it wasn't just that I did it; it was that they were in a spot where they wanted to be better at how they operated. So it, it was it was good from that standpoint for me. So once you got that leadership team together and functioning and board functioning correctly, is that kind of when when you, uh, the merger occurred, or what was kind of the things that led to the to the continued growth yeah, of the business? No, great question. Um, so that was that was 2005. The merger didn't, didn't occur 2011. We just functioned as a company well uh they had grown to five stores just before i started so we were just getting used to being five stores 150 staff um we just really focused on just internal uh you know what's are we doing things the best we can we had a a conviction called continuous improvement so just always are we doing things the best we can and so that's carry i think that's still a conviction today i know that um so we were always looking at are we doing things the best that we can um and then as you aware and as probably listeners will be aware is that you know there's there's been a it's been a real direction from from manufacturers to consolidate dealership consolidation. And, and so there was lots of conversations going on. Our area was particularly um, uh, just swamped by dealer, dealer groups, dealer stores. And so we started conversations with our neighboring dealer, neighboring John Deere dealer. So we were a Meyer farm service, they were agriturf. Um, we just started, we just started what we call dating. Uh, myself and my CFO and their GM and their CFO, we would just get together once a month, have lunch. And just chat, just chat about the business. Um, and it went on for several, several months to the point where we actually started sharing financials, which for neighboring John Deere dealers, you know, there's a lot of competition there, right? And so 
it was certainly unique for us to do that to the point where we started really entertaining. Do we get our boards together for, you know, kind of social slash business meeting and, and see where and have some agenda topics. So we, so we did that, got the boards together. Uh, I remember where that was. It was we just took them off site, got away for a couple of days and I developed an agenda. We went through it, uh, facilitated that. And we just kind of worked through different you know pros and cons and, and a lot of fears came out, right? And a lot of, well, I, this is mine. And, and so there was a lot of good discussion around that. There was also pretty frustrating at times, but that's the human nature of going through a merger like that. Um, so that was kind of the, that, was, that led up to 2011. And that's when we kind of decided to, and that, you know, obviously didn't happen overnight. That took years. How did you start the conversation? <laughs> so like, that's a really unique thing. Uh, your comment about dating, right? That, that would make a lot of people nervous. How did you start the conversation uh, so that you could you could you could have that initial discussion that that people weren't sort of feeling that there was conflict or competition. Yeah, I, I, I think there's we had a decent relationship at that point. We you could sit down and have and have a have a beverage with somebody that certainly helped, right? To know a little bit about each other, kind of outside of the business, so some type of social um, connection um, definitely helped. And I think again, we didn't. Early on, I'm, I know we were pretty hesitant to share much uh, in our lunch meetings. We just talked real surfacy, but then as we just kept doing it, I know we each felt oh, we shouldn't, you know, we should back off from this. And then we just kept ourselves accountable to keep meeting. And as we did that, we just got more and more comfortable talking about the business. And then we'd share the odd best practice. And then when you started doing that, it just takes one side to share a best practice. Then the other side usually will reciprocate and then that can start the flow. And when you start sharing those things, then you're realizing you're not going to steal business from each other or you're not trying to hurt each other. And there was sometimes though, when, when that was going on, that we had to go back because, you know, 150 staff, not everyone's going to behave and play, play the game fairly. Right. And so there was situations where this guy lobbed something over and, you know, back and forth each other's trade area. And so we had to resolve that quickly and get on the phone and really say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, I'm talking to the guy. And that happened on both sides, right? And, and so we really had to resolve those things quickly so that we didn't, it didn't fester and sabotage kind of just the discussions where we, where, that we were having. Which those probably built trust as well. Uh, yeah. Being able to work yeah. through those. Yeah, for I, sure. I think that's great. I, you know, I, I think people would be real hesitant and nervous to do that, but I, I think you need that, you need to build that trust if you're gonna have a successful merger. And I think, and I also think part of it too was that, you know, just investing in our leaders too. So we really, we really um, took a lot of time with our leadership group to really invest in them to make sure they were leading effectively. And so that helped when they had to start communicating with their peers on either side, mm -hmm. um, that helped a lot as well. So what we did is if a, a conflict came up again, during this kind of lead up to the merger stage, if a conflict came up, yeah, it's one thing for me to call the other GM and deal with it. But what if you make your, what if you make your sales manager call their sales manager and deal with it and solve it in a way that's good for both entities that changes the game because now all of a sudden they just can't operate. The sales manager can't operate and run around and do what they want. They're now have to play by certain rules and they know that if they're not gonna, they got to face the music with their peers. That really helped drive some good conversations as well was trying to keep it at the level where it could best be solved rather than going up to the general manager. All the time. That's great. Okay, so you bring these organizations together. Was there anything thinking back to kind of some of those initial days of either, you know, sort of pre-merger or, you know, shortly thereafter post-merger that were things you look back and think, wow, that really worked well or wow, that didn't work very well? 
Yeah, for sure. I think there. I think about it. I think about two kind of aspects that stand out. One is processes. I think down there you guys call it processes, but we call it processes up here. But you know, it's all good. Um, another was is just the culture and the people. And I think we we focused a lot early on on the processes, how to do things, how how are we doing things differently today? How are we going to do things the same tomorrow? Because now we're 10 stores, right? 300 and some staff. If you're doing things differently, it's going to create chaos in your organization. Um, and so we had to figure that out. Um, and that was one aspect. I think the aspect that we probably didn't pay enough attention to right away was the culture and the people side of things. Um, it took a bit. And I remember the, I can remember where I was sitting. It was a, it was a meeting and it dawned on me that we really needed to be more purposeful about our culture and who we were as a new organization. And so we really worked with our, all of our team to get input from all of our staff on what they, what kind of culture they wanted at Premier. And so we invited them some feedback from all of our staff, picked out keywords, most common words that staff said, and we started to build kind of a culture statement and who we wanted to be. And then we worked at how do we reinforce this? How do we make this alive? How to make our convictions actually real? One thing to have values, we called them convictions, but then we had actual statements uh, of how we carried those out under each conviction. And so we wanted those to become alive. Here's how we actually live that conviction at Premier. And that started to really establish, here's who we're gonna be as an organization. Here's how we're gonna behave. If you don't or can't, then that's fine, but let's have a conversation because that we're not gonna apologize for that. Here's, your, here's, how, here's how we're gonna behave. You gotta fit that. Uh, including myself, right? You know, start with myself. Um, you got to fit that. But if you can't, uh, then this isn't going to work long term. And and we were pretty clear about that. And and you know, we had to make some tough decisions along the way. But um, I know, thinking back, that it took us a bit to get to there. Maybe rather than off the hop, because you're so focused on the business, the to dos. Uh, but once we got that culture kind of really established, I know we had a lot of great feedback from our staff around just man, love the culture here. Love the way we operate the way we interact with each other we're not perfect because we're human right stuff happens so um as long as we're working towards that or people are striving towards that that's what's always important well and i think it's great i hear people talk about how important an organization's culture is for growth and for success and i see a lot of organizations that uh don't have great cultures they find out what something like is happening at Premier and they take and they, they put it in their organization and they say, Hey, as of tomorrow, we're going to start doing this new thing. It's going to change our whole culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and you, you laugh a lot of times those things don't work. What, what was sort of the key turning point at Premier that, that had you move from process to culture? Uh, I, I know I can remember where I was sitting and I think it was a general sales meeting. So I think we had 40 some sales staff and, and I just, I just don't know if there was, I wouldn't call it bickering. I think it was just complaining about certain things and, and they were legit. Not like it's easy to get offended as a, as a CEO, general manager when things are being said, but uh, I think they were just legitimate complaints. And it seemed to me that what I was hearing was that we still had two separate companies. Yeah, we merged legally, but we weren't really merging as an organization. We had this North South kind of mentality and we, it just wasn't, it wasn't meshing. The way it should and so I, I just remember the comments or questions i can't i can't exactly what, what exactly they were but i remember sitting exactly i can remember exactly where i was and and just hearing that and going can we just we aren't we aren't one organization yet and it was only like it was it was in a year so it wasn't like it was you know but i think you know in terms of expectations in my mind wait, we're one organization now well we clearly weren't and so like, we got to do something about this right so 
yeah, like that was kind of just listening to what was going on um, in terms of the staff and what they were asking or saying. Did you get a lot of pushback in the early days of trying to build a unified culture? Uh, there was some, um, not as much as I would have thought. Um, I think we had some locations that were like, this is awesome. Let's go. Like just, you know, but each in but 10 locations and, in different towns and cities, they all have a little different vibe, right? They all have their own little different mini culture and that's okay. That's what you want that local feel to some extent. Um, so there were some that, you know, had a little bit, a little bit more resistance. We don't want to, we don't play that way. We we're good here, you know, kind of that mentality. And so we definitely had to dive a little deeper in a couple locations. Um, and again, that's just the history of the place, nothing wrong. It's just how they operate, how they function, how they interacted together. It was just their way of doing it but it wasn't good enough for us in terms of what we expected going forward. And so I know we dove deeper into a couple of places for sure to try and really kind of uh, flush out what was going on and, and understand some of the dynamics that were there. If you were to give uh, other dealer groups a kind of one or two places to start to transition from process to more culture focused, what would you tell them? That's a great question. Um, I think you've got, you've really got to find out what's really going on. I think, I, I think about a number of mistakes that I made over the years, um, just thinking I knew, I, I thought I knew, or I, I assumed I knew, or I assumed what I was being told or what we were hearing was, was, oh yeah, that's, yeah, of course, that's what we asked. That's what's happening. Right. And so I think more finding out from different sources, what's really going on is really important. Um, the bigger you get, the and you don't want it's not a case where you want to be jumping levels of leadership, but you think you just need you need as much information as you can get about what's really going on in your organization beyond you know the office I sit in or the few of us that sit in the we call the you know in, in the kind of corporate wings, right? But um, finding out as much as you can uh, in a, in a healthy manner uh, what what your staff are feeling and what's going on at at the parts manager level or service manager level or the tech level at the store, tech level at that store within reason, again, because you don't want to create this, you know, culture where people can come and talk to you about everything, right. And complain. It's, there's a, there's a healthy component to that, I think. And uh, I think just really understanding what your people are thinking and talking about around the cooler um, can really help you uh, focus on some things in terms of culture and a healthy culture for your organization. That's great. Thank you. Um, historical business challenges. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've seen and, and how did you address them? I, you know, kind of giving an example of, you know, what was it and what was the solution as an example sure. for other people? Yeah, I, there's a, a few that come to mind. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one pre-dealership one, I think um, from, the, from the custody side, jail side. We had to temporarily actually relocate the young offender jail that we had, uh, they were going to basically rebuild it, take what they had and add to it. And we had to actually get out of there for just under a year, which in and of itself was monumental in terms of where you take a jail. How do you find a jail for less than a year? And so we're able to locate a place that actually had been vacated. It wasn't a jail, but we could fix it enough that it could be. It was, it was a facility for certain types uh, of individuals. And so we could, make that work from a physical standpoint um, and so I know a lot of there's a lot of time and energy spent just in the just in the the building logistics of that right because there's think about security elements and and safety elements for your 
for your for the offenders and for your employees. That was a massive undertaking. But then the piece that caught us off guard um, was how much our staff were going to be negatively impacted by having to drive 30 to 40 minutes different location farther than they would usually drive for work. That really caught us off guard, the impact of that on our employees uh, at the time. Um, and for some of them, it might have been an hour's drive farther than they usually came uh, in terms of where we were located. And, and I think the fallout from that uh, and the disgruntledness and the, and the, and, and probably legitimately so, we just didn't, we just didn't foresee that. And we, we were so busy planning the logistics that we didn't think about necessarily the impact on our, on our folks at that point. Um, it took them kind of going with their arms up. What the heck, how are we supposed to, I got to pay for this and drive for this. And, you know, it, it had big impact on them as individuals. Right. And, and so we had to really meet and, and just discuss how are we going to solve this? How do we work around this with them when we sat down with the uh, different members of the, of those teams and just talked about how do we make this happen? And we had different solutions for different teams. In some situations we, we offered a group van they could drive. Uh, we had to actually pay them for their drive time because they were driving so much farther. Sounds like simple solutions. So this is, you know, this is 20, 25, probably 20, yeah, almost probably 25 years ago that we were going through this. So um, back then, different times, right? This is pre, I don't think we were using computers back then. If we were, we had just started. Like we weren't even, you know, cell phones. Remember the first cell phone I had was, it was in a bag. It was massive and had a big antenna. Well, different times, right? But I remember we had to really work through our staff with, we just caught us off guard. That whole, um, this really impacts me uh, and negatively. Um, we thought, well, they're going to be excited. We're getting a new building back here, right? Once we get back, it's going to be awesome. Why wouldn't they be excited? And, and so the negativity from that change, and it's not a, it's not bad. It's just the nature of it's just it's the nature of change, right? And so that really caught us off guard, and we really had to. In hindsight, if we could have planned that and had those discussions before, just saying we're moving to here for less than a year, um, and then dealing with the fallout, um, would have been much better on our part to deal with that up front. So that one from a long time ago stands out just from an early learning. Um, Do you think that was your that. first major sort of experience with making sure that employees are considered in the decision process? Yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, again, um, that was really early on in my kind of leadership development and just being a leader. And so I think I, the people that I worked directly with as a leader, I had, great relationships with I, I'm, I'm a connection kind of person I connect more on one with people and and kind of um, to me leadership is about influence that doesn't happen without connection and so um, I always connect with people really well and so those that I could deal with one-on-one -on -one, they would they would you know usually say yeah, let's go right let's, let's get after it this was a little different because it was the entire group and I didn't deal with them all one-on-one -on -one. and so um, it, it, yeah, it definitely opened my eyes a little bit to go oh wow we have to take care of all of this and can't just trust my relationship with individuals to carry me through as a leader. You got to actually take care of this. And so, yeah, that's a good question. That's probably, probably an accurate, an accurate uh, assumption or assessment on your part. Yeah. How do you think uh, that you really help build premier into a world-class organization? It's a great question, Ryan. Um, I think uh, there's a few things that come to mind for me. I think that we really, uh, as an organization invested in our leaders, uh, we believe strongly in leadership in our organization. We have 50 some leaders across our 10 locations. And so we really, 
um, it was a conviction of ours of continuous improvement. And part of that was really developing and growing our leaders. We use building champions a number of times to come in and help us with that. Um, we always are running different programs. Premier had a premier leadership university. They still have that where leaders go through that. And so we're always uh, uh, building into them. Um, they're the hands and feet to our staff uh, internally, who are our hands and feet to our customers externally. Uh, we also had a very inclusive approach. Um, I don't know everything and I'm okay with that. And so we had a great executive team. Uh, and with that executive team, the different skills and abilities, it just made the team a solid team to move forward. And we operated very much that way uh, as a group going forward. Um, we had a great robust planning system. So we had a, we had a very clear purpose, vision, long-term plan. We had a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. But we also broke that down into annual plans and even beyond that, right into some monthly plans that fit the overall target of where we're going. So we're always setting our plans, our goals, our budgets, and then managing monthly to quarterly to see where we're at along the way, organizationally and by store. I think the other area that was really big for us is that we had a, we had a massive focus on customer experience. Uh, credit to you guys, uh, Ryan, and your organization. At the end of the day, customers pay the bills. Uh, and I've said that a number of times in the organization. Without customers, there's no jobs. And so um, we spent a, a lot of energy, time, investment, um, understanding and following up with our customers from the survey process was satisfied. Um, we had a person dedicated to that pretty much, well, kind of half to three quarters job, dedicated to really making sure that we followed up every survey with every customer, um, had our store managers do that, uh, and to the point where they're probably get tired of that, but we just felt that was so important to know what our customers were thinking about us. Not for the score, because the score is one thing, but so that we know we're doing a great job with our customers. And I know we grew, we grew our satisfied score you know into the 80s because of that approach to it and because of the support from satisfied so thank you for that yeah. so move forward to uh, your experience at either Amira or Premier as a group what uh, what do you think some of the big challenges that you've experienced through the years yeah um, and I, I thought about that a little bit uh, as you asked it um, and and there's none that were were massively like crisis related I think they all there's lots of that were certainly heightened in terms of stress. Um, the merger obviously was, you know, just a, a, a massive one. None of, it, none of us had been through a merger before. I had certainly never been through merging two boards, you know, two organizations, two leadership groups. Um, and I think we did fairly well through that, all things considered, having no experience. I think we, but again, we, we did pay attention to some things um, early on, especially at the board level, um, setting expectations. Here's, if Elmira had already gone through how a board should function. So when we, we started to meet, we said, here's how we function and here's how we have to function going forward. So that established an expectation early on with the new board. Um, and both of us kind of had leadership teams, so that wasn't too complicated. We had to kind of deal with that. But um, I think dealing with the personnel issues, the people issues, the differences and styles of approach uh, on the leadership sides, those caught us off guard again as well there was really different ways of dealing with stuff. One wasn't right, one wasn't wrong, it was just different. And so that created, when we came together, that created tension that our staff could feel. Um, and we had to really get back, we had to really kind of get back in front of that and deal with it in a way that, no, no guys, here's how we're gonna interact with our people. Here's how we're gonna ask things of our people. Here's how we're gonna delegate and, and ask for projects to be done. And, and there was a real learning curve as we went through that for sure. 
what'd you do? What was an example of something you did to, to sort of um, to remove that tension, address the tension? Because I'm sure other people are going through things that are really similar. I can, there, there, there's an extreme one where we had to make a personnel change. So okay. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's the extreme of it is that, I mean, there was lots of discussions leading to that moment to say, no, no, we're going to do things this way. You you understand that, right? Here's what it means. And, and so in the end, it just, it, that, that person couldn't function in that, in that role. So we made it, we made a change. Um, and that's just because that's what's best for the organization, right? It was certainly painful, but um, we had to do that. Um, I think, I think from a performance management standpoint, it's really clearly, uh, there's a saying, you can't inspect what you don't expect, right? I think that's an old saying, but it's being really clear about expectations with our folks and just saying, so all the people that I'm responsible for, and that's the way I like to say it, I think people like to say, I have so many direct reports. Well, I'd, I'd flip that on its head and say, you don't have 10 direct reports, you're responsible for 10 people. Flip that on its head and think about it that way. So those people that I'm responsible for, I want to make darn sure that expectations are clear um, of what I expect of them, so they know what I expect. But then we're gonna we're gonna monitor that as 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 we work together. That's that's what's fair. That's what's right. That's what's that's what's good for the organization and for us as individuals. And so I had monthly I call them PM meetings with all the people that I'm responsible for. So we'd meet every month for an hour or less. And there was three sections of every meeting. The first was business from previous meetings. So there was minutes taken. We look back at the previous minutes and go, was I supposed to do something? Were you supposed to do something? Second section was his or her section. What do you want to talk about? Third section was my section. Here's what I want to talk about. And so we just real quick minutes. They get a copy. I get a copy. Um, and just built good expectations and then accountability uh, around those expectations. Not in a bad way, in a 100% of supportive help that person grow and develop kind of perspective. That's how we did things. That's great. Did, did you go through any challenging economic periods or things like that, that, that put stress on the organization? Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's one year in particular um, that we, we thought we were in good shape and some things just happened near the end of the year that really caught us off guard, like really threw us into a, everyone had, what amazed me was everyone's reactions to that, to that year including my own, uh, you know, I mean, uh, in the end, I'm responsible, right, as the CEO. Um, so that it caught me off guard, and I was upset about it. Um, everybody else, there was there was everything from anger to to just being upset to, yeah, it's not bad. It's, you know, it's not great, but we'll survive. And um, so there's all kinds of these range of emotions. And um, so of course, we were really good at dealing with how do we fix this, right? So we jumped into, let's fix this. And we did a great job fixing it. We did a great job addressing the issues. Lots of good open conflict discussions. Um, that's important, right? To be able to have good, healthy conflict. And we had those. Um, but I probably didn't deal with the kind of emotional side of it enough. Because we had a bit of a, it just caused some conflict in, in, a, in our team. And, and understandably, I get, I get why it did. Probably just didn't, I didn't do a good enough job addressing some of those little conflicts um, that, were hangover from the anger, frustration, disappointment, um, and where everyone thought we should be. And, and not, again, it's human nature, right? So it's not, it's not wrong. It's just, it's just part of the process of running a company. So, so hindsight being 2020, if you were to go back to that exact same mm -hmm. situation, how would you have handled the emotional side differently? I think I just, I think I would just would have had the group together and, and dealt with it openly as a team. I just would have called it out and said, I understand 
that you're this and I, and I get it. So let's talk about that. If you're angry at this person, let's have a discussion. If you're angry at this person, let's, have a, let's sort it out and have a healthy discussion about it so that when we leave this room, we're, we're a team going forward and we're working together for what's best for the company and rather than letting it fester. Should have just dressed it head on. And it got addressed one-on-one -on -one over time, but I should have done a better job um, getting it out in the open. And they call, it, they call it mining for conflict. I should have done a better job mining for that conflict and really pulling it out. As you can see, usually as a leader, you can see what's going on in people's body language. And, and rather than maybe trying to avoid it, I should have. And I don't know if I was avoiding it, but maybe I was because I had my own kind of set of disappointment going on. But could have done a better job um, bringing it out in the open and just getting it, getting ahead of it. Yeah, good question. Right. But thanks for asking me. It's really good. <laughs> um, all right. So let's. We've talked about crisis, and you've had this amazing experience in these correctional facilities, and obviously we've seen some, you know, economic challenges over your years of managing things like that. What do you think about this COVID nineteen challenge as it relates to dealer operations, personnel, customers, like you're in such a unique position, uh, just recently have retired and looking at, you know, at the dealership from a really different light. How are you feeling about it all? Great question. Um, I've, had a, I've had the opportunity to have a, just a ton of conversations with my role with building champions, um, be involved in a lot of different video calls and virtual meetings and some virtual conferences. And so hearing different what different businesses are doing around, you know, North America and even internationally. So it's really intriguing. Um, the one thing I'm hearing that I think is interesting is that some leaders, and it seems that most successful business leaders are taking the challenge and going, we're going to figure this out. We're going to adapt. We're going to do what we got to do. We're going to come out stronger. That, that seems to be kind of the, you know, the pervasive of the successful leaders. There's some that are going, holy crap, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And they're kind of in this retreat mode, right? And definitely is a, a little bit of that. The majority seem to be here, but there's a little bit of that. So that's one thing I've noticed for sure. Um, I think that leaders are leaders because they're probably good. I think I said this to you earlier, Ryan, before we started this, but um, because they're good at getting stuff done. They're good at solving problems. They're good at in crisis, they're good at getting ahead of things. They're good at rallying troops. Uh, that's why they're probably CEOs or general managers or leaders. Um, and so, because they're good at getting tactical things done. Uh, they're good at figuring out how do we serve customers in a safe distance thing, and how do we how do we keep our staff safe so that you know we aren't spreading this amongst our staff members. I, I've seen some really creative things done. I remember walking into one of the premier stores, and they had put a bunch of boxes of, uh, I think it was just uh, towels in front of the counter. So the, so the space in front of the counters was, you know, five feet, just putting barriers up without having to put barriers up. And, look, look, and I'm sure lots have done that, right? And so lots of cool things have been done that way. That was before the stores were kind of closed. And now they figured out a way to almost have a drive-through kind of parts system, which is really cool. And so some really creative, that's what I'm talking about. There's a creative side of things that are that are showing, which I think is really, really neat in terms of how do we serve the customer safely um, and, you know, and still, and still keep business kind of going. I think the other side of that on the tactical side is that it's, and I think, and I know that um, I know premier did this, so I give those guys credit um, is that they got a message out, which was really clear about if we can stay in business, if we can stay uh, in good shape, if we don't have to lay anybody off, we don't have to, 
lose positions, that's awesome for all of us. It's awesome for our organization. It's awesome for our staff. It's awesome for our staff's families. If we can just keep everybody on the payroll and keep pushing ahead, not everyone can do that. I understand that. But if we can do that, that's ideal. And I think, I think having that conversation with your employees or getting that out is good. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. There's no apology for that. If we can still achieve budget or revise targets, then awesome. Not every business can do that. I understand that. But uh, fortunately, in, in the ag business, food is still needed, right? And so, um, you know, uh, that's, that's a good thing in terms of the industry um, that we're in. Um, the other side, I think, those so that's kind of, I call it the tactical side. How do we logistically do it? Uh, and why should we do it? Well, because it's good for business and it's good for our employees and it's good for, good for employees' families um, is, the, is the people component. Um, and I think that's probably the, the organizations that can do both, the tactical and the people side, um, are the ones that are really going to come out of this in awesome shape with team members that are really behind the organizations that are ready to, you know, take it to the next level once we kind of get through this, this, this pandemic and, and see what it looks like on the other side. Um, Brett, what do you say, what do you say to those leaders that are, they're, they're struggling right now, right? They don't, they're not kind of taking the bull by the horns and going after it. They're nervous, they're scared. Um, what do you say to them as far as figuring out how do I, how do I get to that place where I can operate from a position of confidence and strength? Uh, you know, this is going to affect all of us differently from a fear perspective. And so any, any thoughts on what they can do? Yeah. Um, so I think it, I think it's okay to have that fear. I think that's, and I think that your employees need to understand that um, you don't know everything. This is new. This is new for everybody. Uh, no one's an expert in how to deal with this. Um, the experts are the health professionals. And we need to trust them, follow their advice, and then that needs to be keep being said to everybody. That's the best we can do from a health standpoint is do what they say because they're the, they're the experts. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but all I know today as a leader, I can do this. So we can do this as an organization. We can keep you safe. We want to do that. That's our priority. And then keep our customers safe and keep the business floating along. Just bite off as small a chunk as you can to survive, to move in the next 30 days. Bite off chunks that make sense for 30 days at a time um, uh, or less if you have to, but I think that really focusing in on what can we do today? I know I can't control this, but what can I control? And what are we gonna do about it? And being really clear about that with your employees as well so that you're not, I think communicating through email is one thing, but I think we need to communicate verbally to our employees. Uh, person to person is best. That's just not feasible all the time. So in video, which I know some people hate doing, um, but through Zoom is technology is amazing these days, what we're using right now. Um, people need to connect with you as a person. They need to see that you are human, that you're not this guy, person, lady sitting over there, uh, that you have emotion through this as well, that you don't have everything figured out, that there's things that you're afraid about, but we can control this and here's what we're going to do about it. Uh, I think really being honed in on a 30 day kind of strategy and that'll change, right? And that'll change in 30 days from now and that'll change in 30 days from now or whatever time frame. I know building champ just developed a 30 day kind of, they call it a crisis plan. Really simple to help leaders get just really laser focused on what can they do today? What can they control? What's out of their control? And that's okay. But what can they control with them and their teams? Uh, to move things forward and sometimes 
the team approach can really help, right? Just don't carry it all on your own shoulders. Get your folks together virtually or not and have a good discussion about, okay, what, what can we do here, guys? And let's have a good brainstorm session. An outside coach can help. I'm not trying to push that because that's what I'm doing. That can really help though as well. And I've seen some building champions folks really walk alongside some great organizations in the, in the States right now to help them just 30 days at a time work things through. Thank that you. That's great. Question, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So let, let's go look at it from a, a dealer staff or a dealer employee perspective. What do, mm -hmm. what do you think, what can they do to help through this challenge? Mm -hmm. so you you focused a lot on leadership, which is where you've been. If I'm an employee, what should I do? I saw that question when you asked that. I was like, that was, that was an interesting question. I wasn't ready for that one. So I'll give you credit. That's, uh, that's, that's a unique one. Um, I think a couple of things. Um, I think understanding that your leader, you know, generally speaking, wants what's best for the organization and for you. Long-term success of the company is good for each individual. That goes without saying. No customers, no staff, you know, no job, right? Um, I think that if if there's concerns about your safety or your health, which I think there's going to be, it's listening to the experts, the professionals, and then if you have a concern internally, it's just following the proper channels. Have a good discussion. Don't don't be having these discussions sideways, right? Because that creates fear amongst the team members. Have a discussion with your supervisor or, or his or her supervisor uh, and have a good discussion about what you're afraid of, what you're concerned about, what you're uncertain about, um, rather than it going sideways, which just creates you know chaos kind of around you. I think having that discussion as best you can with your supervisor or your, whoever that person is that, that, that you report to, uh, that's the best. I think Again, I you know I can't speak. I speak from the organizations that I'm involved with is, is following your leaders. Um, they want what's best. Generally speaking, as far as I can see, they want what's best for you and for the organization, and and, and that's a good thing. Great, thank you. All right, well, I, I think we've had a great discussion. Um, any closing comments or thoughts about how how people can succeed in this time, whether personal or professional or whatever it is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there were. Uh, the one that came to my mind was Dr. Henry Cloud. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. Great leadership uh, guru, author. He did a webinar recently, and he's a, I'm going to get it wrong, but he's like a psychiatrist, psychologist. I'm not sure what he is, but he's a leadership guru. Really interesting webinar. It's Dr. Henry Cloud, I encourage you to check it out. But he talked about what this is causing in some people uh, because of this current situation, right? whether it's work from home or work at distance. And he says, there's this, as humans, we're made to connect. We're made to be connected to each other. We're made to have the human connection and relate and just hang out, right? That's that's not, think about it, it makes sense, right? That's, that's why we have family, that's why we love being with family and friends and we're made to connect. One of the things that's happening right now in the workplace, especially where it's virtual or where it's really distance, even in, even in the same building, is that loss, of, there's a loss of connection. And so people are feeling that, and that can lead, he went through, what could, like, that can lead to depression and all kinds of things. I'm not, again, I'm not clinical, so I'm not, I'm not an expert in that at all. Um, but so he really encouraged, how can, you, how can you encourage connection within your organization? What are things that you can do to connect, help people connect within your organization? He had some great, some great examples and we've done them as part of Building Champions. So we actually had a, we had a virtual conference uh, two, three weeks ago now, it was done on Zoom. I was skeptical going in and I think, but it was awesome. We had breakout sessions in Zoom rooms and we had whiteboards and but then as part of that, 
they had kind of social times on Zoom. They built in social times that weren't, there's no business chat, it's just grab a beverage, grab a coffee, we're just gonna hang and chat about whatever. Uh, and they did small groups with that as well. And so you could go and get to know people better. Uh, and I've seen that, I know it's happening in some businesses as well, where they're building, they can sit in a room properly spaced and have a connection time and have a time just to chat about stuff, chat about life, chat about whatever's going on. So creating some connection um, as best you can to help people feel like they belong to something is really, is really helpful. There's a slogan called VUCA. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, anxiety. Man, we are in VUCA right now. There's no question about that. And, and so that anxiety piece, the more that we can help help our folks with the anxiety piece, if we can do little things like that. I know they may sound corny to some, but just helping people connect a little bit uh, or even connect with other people yourself uh, outside of the workplace, uh, however you can do that safely, obviously, from a physical distancing standpoint until we're through this. But um, doing that as best you can and then just communicate uh, I know that's an old old adage uh, like you know I've used it a number of times and but you really got to communicate with your people it, it, and again verb not through email if you can like uh, video this way whatever in person whatever you don't tell them they're going to fill the gaps in uh, and it creates all kinds of chaos so the more you can communicate if you're doing enough do more uh, keep communicating keep them updated uh, and so that they trust you uh, and they follow you as a leader, uh, which is re really what you want as an organization in the end. That's great. Brett, thank you so much for your time today. Um, all, thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, my hope is that you can leverage some of the insights shared today to build a stronger business and effectively work through these existing challenges. I know they're tough. Um, if you have any questions and you want to connect with Brett directly, uh, you can connect via the Building Champions website. Uh, at buildingchampions.com or connect with Brett directly via LinkedIn uh, or reach back out to us and we'll make sure there's a connection. So thank you so much for listening and Brett, thanks again for uh, participating today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it.